Everyone has a story. Stories of adversity, stories of perseverance, stories of accomplishments, and maybe even stories that will make others laugh. No matter the story, we can be inspired and motivated by them. Most of all, we can learn from them. This is the Big Peach Ride Run Podcast, hosted by me, Dave D2 Martinez, and I want to hear your story. Welcome back, listeners. It is episode 136 of the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast. And yes, we are, can you believe it? We are in the middle of November as we release this episode. And yes, winter is coming. Um, daylight savings uh, ended. So, uh, you know, we're most of us, if you're running in the evening, you're running in the dark. If you're running in the morning, you're probably starting, uh, you know, in the dark and finishing with some daylight. But uh, that being said, you know, this is a time where we for sure want to make sure that you're running safe and that you're being seen. So make sure that you are, you know, uh, wearing a headlamp or carrying some sort of a flashlight uh, for visibility so that you can see where you're going, whether it's, you know, uh, the pavement that you're running on. Make sure that it is cracked, that you're not going to trip and fall. Make sure that you have some reflectivity. So that you know, the car's headlight, as you know, you're approaching an intersection, they see you. Wear bright colors and uh, do not be afraid of these really bright neon type of colors because um, you know if you're wearing black, that just makes it very difficult for you to be seen. Uh, even recently, I was driving down the road and saw someone on one of those little mini scooters, and they were crossing the road, and I barely saw them. And luckily, I wasn't going that fast, so I was able to slow down, but no visibility all uh, dressed in black, and it just presents a very um, dangerous situation and something that you know, we want to avoid at all costs. So please be safe out there and make sure that uh, that you're aware of your surroundings and uh, that especially as well, do not cover your ears if you're wearing, um, you, know, um, you know, running with music. Uh, you want to be aware of your surroundings for a variety of reasons, safety reasons, but you can also uh, hear approaching cars and vehicles. So please wear, uh, if you're going to wear something, wear the bone conduction type of headphones that open up your ears um, like the uh, shocks uh, headphones. So that also, um, just to remind you that with winter, we now have, and when these have just arrived, these, these uh, lightweight um, jackets uh, from, uh, you know, from our own brand, our peachy, um, big peach brand. Uh, so we got these lightweight uh, kind of rain jackets uh, that uh, will go great over, you know, base layers to kind of keep you warm. And uh, we also have some, uh, some vests that uh, for, for this winter, as well as some long sleeve and some other items that uh, available at all of our big peach running company locations as well. But most importantly, I think, you know, right now, uh, most of you, you know, have, you know, that are running know that it's sort of kind of, it's marathon season, it's that long distance type of season. And we just had Chicago, New York, Marine Corps Marathon, and many others. So congratulations to all of you that have, you know, completed that, have participated in those races. That's awesome. And as a reminder, you know, the Atlanta Thanksgiving half marathon uh, is coming up here on Thanksgiving day. Uh, so I know many of you are logging those miles and getting ready to earn, uh, you know, your uh, turkey dinner. So, you know, kudos to you and keep keep at it. So <clears throat> today's episode, um, uh, to get into the content of episode 136, is we have Dr. Amanda Smith. Now, she reached out uh, to us because, you know, she had a topic that was very dear, uh, I think, and important to her um, because, you uh, 
some of the stuff that she has researched and she has, I mean, looking at her credentials, it's just amazing at, at how much experience she has. But, you know, she's got, you know, a bunch of initials behind her name, uh, DC, MS, CCSP, CCEP, CSCS. I don't know what all those, uh, you know, degrees uh, mean, but um, I, I looking at uh, kind of what she's uh, accomplished and done. I mean, she is a physician, a coach, athlete, board certified sports physician, doctorate, uh, doctorate of chiropractic uh, from Life University, master of, uh, of exercise physiology, um, bachelor's in pre-med, minor in exercise physiology, uh, certified chiropractic extremities practitioner, certified strength and conditioning specialist, certified active release technique provider, certified Graston technique clinician. She was uh, also team doctor for USA track and field. She was an NCAA collegiate uh, athlete across country and track and a cat two cyclist competing in the pro field and has been a half Ironman world qualifier. So, you know, obviously she's someone that uh, specializes in this field, knows a lot about, um, you know, just, you know, training and um, and physiology, but her recent focus has been specifically around women's exercise physiology. And so she kind of, uh, you know, reached out and, and I really wasn't sure what, to, you know, we would talk about. And she gave me a little bit of a preview. And I'll have the link um, because it does go in, a, I think, a little bit more specifics as well. Um, but she shared a, um, you know, another podcast where they kind of dove down a little bit. And that's, uh, you know, the Whoop podcast. And Whoop is, for those that don't know, is a, a little uh, it's kind of a smart device that you wear on your wrist. And it takes all these different measurements. And it was through their researchers and stuff that they're gaining a lot of, um, you know, um, data, um, specifically around genders. And through that, I was able to learn that, you know, specifically, you know, um, you know there's been a research gap. Um, and that's the fact that many research studies, whether it's based on exercise and fitness, or based on um, you know medical procedures or even um, um, dosage as far as medication, a lot of the research is based on men and women. Basically, are not small men. There's differences in the physiology besides just size and weight. Um, so you know, based on some of the research, they're seeing some that they're seeing that women are underrepresented in research and that leads to some, some issues, um, where women get injured more. Um, and then also because women, um, even as, as girls in, in, in school at, at grade school and stuff, they tend to drop out of sports two times the rate of men during puberty because exercise is designed primarily, you know, around boys at that point and without taking certain things into consideration as, you know, uh, a young girl's body changing and, and, um, you know, maybe needing to have things specific to, um, you know, young girls. So, um, you know, by the age of 17, 51% of girls have given up on sports because it's no longer, uh, something that they feel that they can do because it's been based on, on, you know, on men, on boys, on, on the, on male, uh, you know, studies. So based on that, uh, you know, I had a conversation um, with uh, Dr. Amanda Smith, and she, you know, educated me a little bit more. We talked about some things that, uh, you know, things that I didn't really even think I would ever talk about, or at least talk about uh, comfortably, because, you know, it's like, I'm a guy. 
And so we talk things about uh, specifically things uh, like the menstrual cycle phase and the different phases within the menstrual cycle where it there's optimal times for uh, women to train and then other times during that cycle where they should be you know recovering and resting. And it's because most training plans are based on men and they don't take these uh, menstrual cycle phases into consideration where women may be training harder when you know, their body just isn't set up to do that um, because they should actually be taking it easy and, and resting. So that was an interesting conversation, and we'll have that um, with uh, Dr. Amanda Smith right after this break. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries, and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiasts, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear. We offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our nine Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to BigPeachRunningCompany.com to learn more. All right, welcome back. I have Dr. Amanda Smith, and she has got a bunch of initials behind her name. Um, she's very qualified as a physician, a coach, an athlete, and just so many other things that I've mentioned in the uh, in the introduction in the, in the first segment. But we got connected because she reached out, and it's a topic that she's very interested about and, and speaking about uh, specific uh, to uh, women's exercise physiology. And at first, that was something that I had really no knowledge of. Um, maybe on the surface, I knew some little bit of uh, tidbits or knowledge that you know there was a, a gap in research, but didn't really know the specifics. And so we connected, and she shared a, a, a podcast, a link to a podcast um, from from Whoop that really kind of uh, dove down to a little bit more of the 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 research and some of the issues associated with that uh, gap in in these studies. And so I was really intrigued by it. And with, uh, you know, Amanda being sort of the expert, I wanted to have her. And I do think that it's one of those things that our listeners, um, you know, can learn a lot from. And as a as a guy, you know, you, you know, I could still feel like I could learn something from it. I have coached female athletes in the past and and really been very ignorant to these issues. And I feel that um, if I'm going to you know, share some knowledge with our listeners or someone else in the future that requests information or help in coaching, knowing some of this stuff and knowing, you know, at the very least where I'm not qualified and who to refer them to um, would be very helpful. So welcome, Amanda, to the uh, podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this. I mean, like I said, um, you know, one of the things that I was um, you know, really surprised was, was the actual research gap. And even in, as we were kind of talking before I hit the record, you brought this up is that there is only 6% of research actually applies to women. Yeah. So, um, this was the first year that, uh, or 2021, uh, for Tokyo is the first year we had equal representation of men and women in the Olympics. And that's something I didn't know before I started researching, but uh, 49% women, 51% male participation uh, in the Olympics. So first year we had that pretty cool. But uh, basically the research department hasn't hasn't caught up to that. Um, a a meta-analysis done in 2021 uh, with 12.5 million participants found that only 6% of those studies were women exclusively. Um, and we have a lot of um, 
female specific issues that happen, such as like women get more ACL tears, more stress fractures. They're usually more anemic, um, autoimmune issues. Um, depending on when they get a concussion, it can be worse um, for women than for men. Um, I can go on and on for that. Um, but basically the research just hasn't caught up to um, the marketing department. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's one of those things that I found interesting in the in the Whoop podcast because they did sort of kind of say, well, why is there a research gap? Why is there a difference? Why is only 6% of women being represented in these studies? Um, and some of it actually, you know, it's it's not really done intentionally as far as if you were to ask researchers. I think they would probably say, oh, well, this is we're doing what we can with the um, resources we have. And typically, I think it's men that are more available or willing to be part of studies. Um, that's part of it, you know. Um, and then the other part is that in, you know, in order to do a study uh, and study women, it actually is a separate study altogether, which also means it costs money. And so it's getting the funding to do that. And that's where um, things have kind of really sort of kind of prevented. And it has to be now, I think, more intentional as opposed to in the past where it's sort of been, well, we'll just use whoever we get. And that's why women are are uh, underrepresented in, in these studies. So, um, so, you know, and it was interesting to me that, you know, right now we're talking about, you know, obviously as, as it relates to sports and all that, but I really found it that the implications of it were beyond just athletics. I mean, we're talking about medication and actually treatment and, and, and for medical uh, procedures and stuff. Um, so, you know, speak a bit more about what you, what your study is and, and sort of kind of your background and, and how that relates to, to, to this gap that we currently have and how it's affecting women. Yeah, like there's de women are definitely underrepresented in, in all fields in medicine. Um, randomized controlled f trials are not randomized randomized controlled um not as it, as far as women or um, minorities or anything and, it, and it's and it's kind of sad um and you're right they do use the, the the reason that it's it's more expensive or more labor intensive but um i think we're at a point where um like stacy sims is probably my favorite researcher um they just did a really big project with whoop and um they had a really huge a really big sample size for that and they just used hrv um you know just an hrv monitor and they were able to get a lot of data that way so that's a pretty inexpensive study um luteinizing strips are pretty cheap they're about 46 cents a, cents a piece if this is something that you want to do for yourself you can know where you are in your cycle um because when you do a workout in your follicular phase versus your luteal phase um you get different results um, and then it's, it's different with autoimmune disorders too. If you have like a chronic autoimmune disorder, it can be worse depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle. Um, so I definitely see those things. Um, you can get like flare ups. Um, people come in, like I said, at different times of their cycle and they can be better or worse. So, um, depending on what it is. Yeah, for sure. So just, you know, I've mentioned whoop a couple of times you mentioned it and just so that the, you know, our listeners are aware, cause maybe they're not aware. So whoop is a, a wearable device. It's um, and it measures a variety of different things. I'm not familiar with them. I looked them up briefly cause, just because I was interested after listening to the podcast. Um, and it is subscription based, uh, a monthly fee, and it measures all these, um, you know, data points as far as your health. And they're the only ones that really I think measure it for women as far as the different menstrual, uh, you know, uh, cycle in their phases to provide that data and actually get measured. So it helps kind of close a little bit of that research gap because they're gathering all that data. Um, so I want to just, you know, 
clarify that so so people don't think we're just using some some terms like what's whoop so it is it's something that you have to you know purchase and then subscribe to and it collects that data it's very similar uh, i would say to your smartwatch but maybe taking it you know maybe 10 20 times more data being collected and more information that you can use specifically for uh, athletes and for training so you mentioned also the menstrual cycle phase. You mentioned follicular phase and luteal phase. And so here's, here's a guy who's actually bringing up the menstrual cycle. This is something that we typically will shy away from, and we're just like we're completely unaware of, don't need to know about it. But you brought it up, so let's talk about what exactly um, are those phases and how does that uh, affect training and, and, and just women uh, and, and through their menstrual cycle? Sure. So... Um the follicular phase is, is like the first phase. And basically day one is when you get your period, when you start bleeding, when menstruation occurs. And um, I, I, a lot of people are starting to categorize um, the whole menstrual cycle in with like the calendar. So they divide it into four phases. I've seen it in research divided in up to seven. And I thought that was the most confusing thing. Um, and it seems like two is not enough. So I think four is, is, a, is a good number. So if we just kind of think about weeks, uh, it makes it a little easier. So if you think of week one, that's the early follicular and menstruation. Um, and then week two is the late follicular. Um, and late, week two is kind of when estrogen starts to rise um, in, in preparation for ovulation to release that egg. And then on day 14, day, day 12 to 14 is when ovulation occurs. And then that's when um, women can get pregnant. It's like the only time, um, not the only days. So don't, don't quite think in terms of like, it's a solid, I only ovulate on day 12 to 14 because it varies. And that's why it's kind of necessary to use like luteinizing strips or the temperature, or um, there's various methods to know when you're ovulating. Um, and then uh, estrogen starts to kind of dip. A little bit and then rises again in the next phase which uh, the next phase which is known as the early luteal phase so once ovulation occurs that's when we change from follicular to luteal and uh, early luteal phase is kind of is probably the worst phase to train um, so that's um, when progesterone starts to, to rise and progesterone really doesn't do anything anything good for females that are trying to work out um, we're much more favorable in the follicular phase surprisingly when women first get their period, that's actually the most favorable time to train because your hormones are, um, are the lowest and then estrogen is really favorable for training. Um, so back to the, the third week, um, right after ovulation, whenever it's, that's more ideal for recovery when progesterone's high. Um, so not saying you need to take the whole week off or anything like that, but just know that um, your heart rate, your breath rate, um, stuff like that is not ideal. You're actually, progesterone makes it a little bit worse to train then. And then in week four is the late luteal phase. And that is also not as great to train, but still better than week three. Um, progesterone starting to get lower, estrogen starting to get lower again, and we're getting back ready, to, or, or getting back to that um, week one where it's good, we're ready to get our period again. So, you know, one of your, uh, you know, you're, you're also a coach, right? So if you were, you know, and like, and I said this in the past where I've trained people and I've used a generic sort of kind of one size fits all training plan and it could work for someone if it happens to align with, you know, you know, with a women's menstrual cycle, but chances are it's not going to. So as a coach, how would you kind of plan out a, a, a training plan using the, 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 the four different phases 
um, in the menstrual in that menstrual cycle phase to uh, coach someone and build them up to you know let's say it doesn't matter whether it's you know they're training for their first half marathon or an Ironman race. What would that look like as far as to put that all that into context and, and so that people um, kind of get understanding of what that means by sure. the, the the different phases and how that relates to a training plan? So I definitely like more of an undulating periodization model versus a linear periodization model. I think I personally think that the linear model is a little bit outdated where we just kind of tack on the volume and just kind of build for six or 12 weeks or whatever. Um, I'm not, I'm not actually sure the coach that kind of did that, but I think of like Arthur Lydiard, like really old school, high volume mileage for that type of thing, um, which I'm not a fan of. Um, so the undulating model is basically uh, I would do three up weeks and a down week. And then the down week would be that week three of um, where the menstrual cycle is, is not ideal where the progesterone's high. Um, then, and, and your, your body really doesn't care if you have a race that week or, or not, it's gonna, it's, you're not going to feel, you're not going to be at your greatest, not saying that you can't PR that week, not saying that you can't hit your times, but it's just better if you could plan a race around, um, being in your follicular phase. Um, but like I said, yeah, I I would have that where, uh, the down week is, is week three. And when I say down week, um, I mean, just kind of lower volume. And if you don't hit your intervals, like don't, don't let that ruin your day. Right. Like you're not getting sick or you're not like, you know, all that negative chatter of when you, when you have a bad workout, um, just know that this is a variable in having a bad workout. Like it could happen. Um, that's kind of the point of all of this is, is just kind of sorting out, um, like what could go wrong, the variables and, and women just have more variables for training. Um, and then also I would, I would plan, um, there's this idea of, uh, the, the author or the, the PhD is named Neiman. I forget what his first name is. I should have looked that up, but he talks about open window theory and they did this really big, um, survey of the, uh, I think it was the LA marathon and it was, it was a while ago, but, um, they talked about who gets respiratory infections and, and at what time. And like, um, and a lot of us have experienced that, like the marathon flu, like when you start to taper that you get sick, right. Cause right that like last long run before a marathon, you know, say it's 22, you know, 24 miles or whatever. Um, that might be the most, the, the fastest, the hardest we've ever pushed our bodies. And then that makes us really susceptible, uh, right after that about, I think it's about a 70, 72 hour window that we're really susceptible to infections of respiratory infections. So our immune system takes a hit. So I would make sure I scheduled the taper, uh, so where it, it wasn't, it, it was at an ideal week that you weren't, you weren't going to get sick, that your body was really strong. Um, and so, so I would, I would, I would plan that out also taking all that into account. So as far as training, you could, you could build a training plan based on the menstrual cycle, but you can't really time that or, or can you to a specific race? Cause the race is set in stone, right? Yeah. So, I mean, right. so, so you can't move that date around. You can adjust a training plan. So how does that come like on, on race day? You know, what's, what, you know, what would, I, I'm guessing based on what you're saying that, you know, that, you know, the, the, during the follicular phase would be the optimal time to have a race and to perform the best. So, um, if it happens in the luteal phase, chances are, you know, woman's not going to have a, a great performance or is it still possible to have a great performance because of training and the way the training was done, optimizing the, the different phases, um, you know, got her prepared for race day. Yeah, you just knowing that you're 
um, going to like just knowing where you are in your cycle and planning. I think that's really, really powerful. Um, making sure you're taking in enough salt um, at that, that time of the month. Progesterone is actually, um, this is going to get a little nerdy, but it's an aldosterone, um, inhib a competitive inhibitor to aldosterone. And um, al aldosterone um, uh, decreases, when, when we have decreased aldosterone binding, we have decreased salt retention, which decreases our blood volume, which decreases our cardiac output which decreases our blood pressure. So knowing that that's going to happen, we might want to have more salt or you just might want to, whatever your, your marathon ritual is like more sleep at that time, because you're going to be more tired. Um, just dialing things in rather than, I know myself, I've gotten a little bit lazy before races and I've been like, Oh, I'm with friends. Like I'll have a beer. It's cool. Um, maybe don't do that. If you're going to have it during week three, just, just kind of um, dial it in a little bit better. Um, but then there has been a couple, have been a couple women that have tried to manipulate their cycle. And, um, the ones that are, were, I've read about it, Jessica Judd and Paula Radcliffe, and it hasn't fared well for them when they've, they've taken birth control to kind of manipulate when they're going to get their period. And they did not do as well, um, whenever that happened. So I don't think that that's a favorable option either. I mean, I, I mean, I just, you know, women just can't catch a break. I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, it's like, you know, you can't, you know, you, you, you can put all the training, you can prepare and end of the race date just happens to fall on, on, you know, on a, on a phase that just isn't optimal. You're not going to have a great, you're not going to have a great race. You know, you may not PR, you may not qualify, you know, for, you know, let's say you're qualifying for Olympic trials. I mean, that could really uh, derail your chances at uh, Olympic qualification. It, it might, but um, there's, I've read about that too. And uh, like Stacey Sims talks about that, like psychology trumps, trumps physiology, which I thought was a very powerful statement. Like I, I really like her if you, you can't tell, yeah. um, but I just think she's just a bad female and she's done a lot for this type of research. She, she's in, uh, she's got a Kona a few times and has kids and stuff. But um, I mean, I think that's true, right? Like you can be a mess um, emotionally for a race, but like still like very physically fit. Like you could be in the best shape of your life, but if you had, you know, um, got in a fight with your, you know, your best friend or your boyfriend or whatever the night before you, that's, that's going to mess you up also. But if your, your psychology is dialed in, like, you know, you can, you can sometimes overcome uh, a lack of fitness. <laughs> well, I so, think that's, I mean, that's a lack, of fitness, a lack of ideal, you know, yeah. As far as the optimal training. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. psychology does play a, an important role. I think that affects really both genders um, mm -hmm. cause that can make a difference. I've always been sort of kind of fascinated behind the, the psychology and, and just kind of being mentally tough for these really kind of, you know, these endurance races. And that's why I'm amazed by, you know, different individuals that are doing, you know, these hundred milers or even 200 mile ultras. Um, it, because it, it does take, you can train the body. We know we can train the body if you're committed and all that, but it's really that determination mentally to have that toughness to push through any pain that you may have because we know the body is capable of doing more. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's interesting that you can still somehow, despite physiologically being at a disadvantage, you may still be able to come out with a great performance because mentally you, 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 you're, you're prepared for it. And, um, I, I'm, I am familiar with, uh, Stacey Sims and, uh, I know she's done a lot of work with nutrition and, and fueling and, and things like that. Um, and you know, you mentioned the, the decrease in, in sodium 
So let's talk, let's switch over to, to fueling because there's, that's something else that I kind of uh, learned a little bit more about because as you said, the physiology is different. Women metabolize differently than men. And during the phases, you know, they're, you need, like you said, you need to take more sodium. So what are other things that maybe can, you know, during the phases can affect the women as far as, you know, and what strategy should they take when it comes to fueling, let's say for a half marathon or a marathon? Yeah. So, so first I just have to say that, um, the more I study nutrition, the more individualized it seems like it is. Um, but just, so just a general disclaimer, so no one's like offended or confused or whatever. Um, but as a general rule, estrogen is glycogen sparing. So, um, estrogen is great. We love estrogen. Um, but when estrogen's high, it makes it tougher for women to access glycogen stores. So we still have blood glucose and fat. If, if, uh, so if you guys don't know exercise fizz things, um, but glucose, so glucose and fat are still readily available. We can still can access glycogen. It's just harder. Um, so it makes us, it makes it tougher to, um, actually hit those, those faster time or sorry, it makes us, it makes it better for us to do longer endurance activities. Actually, we're, we're, we fare better, um, in like hundred milers. And then specifically, um, women, the only, the only sport women are really better than men at is long distance swimming. So like the Catalina Island swim and, um, then like Cuba to Florida, um, women hold those records, which is really cool because we can just access the fat stores better and we can't get those glycogen stores as well. So to answer your question, um, you would want to make sure you're fueling enough at those times. I mean, you want to always be fueling enough to follow your fuel plan. But again, don't that when estrogen's high or um, if you're not feeling your best uh, in your in your in your best week, um, then you just want to make sure you're really following your nutrition plan appropriately and don't don't skip on that. That's not the week to you know or the race to you know um, to forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's interesting because it, you know we we always say that you know you know nutrition is sort of like that that special science that's you know nutrition you know that uh, that that ingredient that we never quite get right and I do think it, once again it comes down to it's individual right we always say oh you have to practice while training and kind of figure out what works for you because what works for one isn't isn't going to work for everyone. Um, but I feel like there's more of a science or more of a, there needs to be more intentionality and in kind of knowing as, as a woman, um, the phases that you're, you're kind of going through and know specifically how to adjust that on a week to week basis. So it seems like it's a lot of work if you really want to, uh, perform at, at an optimal level. Yeah. And then as far, so that was like race, I, I totally agree. But then, uh, as, that was as far as race fueling, but then I think recovery is even more important. Um, for, for that time, time frame, like we keep talking about week three, um, progesterone is actually increases muscle catabolism. Um, so I think taking that protein shake within that like 30 minute window, especially if you deplete your glycogen stores, right. If you're, if you're about to bonk, you know, on the finish line, um, you really want to make sure you get that, that protein and, um, some carbs in and, and the science really with that is, is kind of a three to one or two to one protein or sorry, carbs to protein ratio. And I think that that within 30 minutes, uh, the 30 minute window, I think that's particularly applicable to that. Now, if you don't deplete your glycogen stores, you still want to get in enough protein that day. Um, that 30 minute window isn't quite as important, but we still um, we still really care about that for recovery because that right that sets you up for um, you know if you're, if you're taking time off after a marathon, you won't feel as crappy the next day. 
or um, if you have, you know, you're doing cross country, then the next, next week you got a race or whatever. Um, and then your, your resting metabolic rate is actually a little bit higher at that time too. So when women are, um, and, and insulin resistance actually changes too. Um, so just knowing those things and knowing, um, I, I'm, I'm really big on knowledge, right? Knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. So knowing those things is powerful and whatever that means to you, if that means that you really respect that 30 minute window, then so be it for sure. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of information and, uh, yeah, it just seems like, you know, as a guy, I gotta say, I'm glad I'm a guy. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> the other thing that I, that, that was brought up on, on that podcast was sort of kind of like some of the, the, as far as it deals with pregnancy, because it, you know, it seems like studies and, you know, or, or the advice has always been to be overly cautious about exercise. Um, as far as women to back off during exercise because they felt like it would it wouldn't be beneficial could even be harmful to the mother or the or the baby and that is now sort of i think that's their their studies now they're showing that that's not really the case correct yeah if, if you're a runner and you get pregnant like you should keep running and it might get a little harder i mean it probably will get a little harder um but actually that that first trimester is um is, is pretty favorable for training if you don't get like the bad symptoms. And I don't want to be insensitive to any symptoms. Like, you know, I've, I've talked to plenty of patients and talked about like, Oh, you know, week one's the best time to train. And they're like, listen, I'm in bed then. And that, that's a different, different discussion, right? Like, you know, if you have cramps really bad, then like, that's awful. And I, I don't want to be insensitive, but like, um, we need to treat those as symptoms and need to figure out why you get cramps versus the physiology of like what's going on in your body. So I hope that's clear. Um, same thing with, with pregnancy, like women get, you know, morning sickness and all sorts of symptoms, um, whenever they get pregnant. So I don't want to be insensitive to that, but the physiology of pregnancy is favorable, but the, the first week or, or sorry, the first trimester. Um, and, and really you're, you're growing a human. So you have, um, increased growth hormone, you have, um, some increased testosterone, um, your estrogen's higher, everything's higher. Um, so it's, it's favorable for, for building muscle and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think, yeah, obviously always follow a doctor's, you know, advice and, and always check with your doctor before you do anything, you know, strenuous. Um, but you know, um, at the same time, I know that there's, you know, we've probably have seen it where, you, you know, I know I've heard it where, you know, you have a patient that comes in and says, Oh, I have, you know, I have knee problems. And my doctor says, stop running, you know? Yeah, and it's crazy, like, right? that's, that's, that's really <laughs> not the, the great advice. Right. I mean, it's like, not that's at all. It's terrible. Right. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's sort of fixes the, the symptom, but doesn't correct the problem. And it removes the ability for you to enjoy something that you love doing. If you love running, you don't want to quit running, you know? Um, so if, if you're pregnant and you love to run and a doctor says, well, don't run because it's going to be harmful to you, you know, maybe get a second opinion, you know? Um, but always check with a doctor. Um, the, you definitely have a more favorable outcome for pregnancy if you continue to work out. Um, there's very few cases, right? Like there's things like preeclampsia and bed rest. Like there's reasons why you shouldn't work out, but you're going to have a more favorable, like better labor and delivery um, if you if you continue working out. Yeah, one of the things that that uh, I did pick up on that podcast that they said that it actually may even be favorable for the child that it may improve their cardio own cardiovascular system, which I thought yeah. well, that's interesting because I've never heard right. that before. Right? Not only is is a mother you know staying healthy through her pregnancy, but she may be able to pass that on to her you know child, and so they end up being healthier um, because 
it's it's just the physiology is all kind of connected interwoven through you know biologically so they're benefiting from that as well so it's quite possible they may have less complications um you know maybe healthier you know as a child and i mean heck you may give birth to an olympian you know you never know um yes the only just one disclaimer i want to put on uh working out while you're pregnant and then i also with estrogen i i estrogen's great there's only one bad thing well one bad thing that i can think of right now that's not good with estrogen but it increases joint laxity so when estrogen's high is when we get the most acl tears and ligamentous injuries so if you kind of translate that to what we're talking about with pregnancy um, so say, you know, in your follicular phase, um, whenever estrogen's like highest, it's, it's say it's, it's about like 50 picograms, whenever you're pregnant, um, your estrogen levels get up to like 16,000 picograms. So if you think about all that joint laxity I was talking about, plus other hormones like relaxin that increase that, you just need to be a little bit careful or, or more careful and more aware that your joints are moving a little bit. So if like you're doing deadlifts, like think about like your lockout point. And then if you're, you know, running trails, think about what your ankles are doing, you know, just like have that knowledge that you're going to be a little more flexible. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I like how we're kind of connecting the dots as to the, the specifics, because it's one of those things where you can say, well, during this phase, don't do this, but knowing why, Right. You know, it's like, oh, estrogen, and it just makes you a little bit more flexible, you know. And, and once again, it's probably why there's more injury in women than they are in men, because you're kind of pushing harder during those phases when you probably shouldn't be. 100%. So yeah. as far as, so, because as a guy, I don't have to worry about this, but as, as a woman, how do you go through and I mean, obviously you can go, okay, well, this is my menstrual cycle and you can sort of kind of break it down in weeks, but you mentioned specifically the measurement of estrogen. Is that something that is regularly, you know, is that tested by a doctor? Is that something special that needs to be requested? Is, is that common knowledge for women? I mean, as, as far as, as they're going through, you know, a, a OBGYN gynecologist? So um, I'm still kind of confused about why there, there's this thing called a free hormone hypothesis. And we talk about, um, and again, not to get too nerdy, but there's hormones are made of different things and they have different rhythms. So we basically have like three different ry rhythms of hormones. We have like a diurnal, which is like 24 hours. We have um, an ultradian, which I believe that's the one that's a month. And then the one in between that is an infradian. I might have those last two backwards, forgive me. But basically say break it down into three different ry rhythms. They're kind of released differently, right? Um, and then they're made of different things. So um, these sex, sex steroids that we're talking about, these hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, testosterone. Um, those are, those are steroid hormones and they should be tested in spit. And a lot of times they're just tested, uh, as total hormones in, in blood. The free hormone hypothesis just states that, um, we need to know the free form of these to get a relevant measure. So, um, testosterone is the easiest one to talk about because it's released, it's a diurnal hormone, meaning it's on a kind of a 24 hour cycle. Um, it's highest in the morning for both men and women, and then it's lowest in the evening. Now, men have greater fluctuations in testosterone. So like if they win a race or see a gun or their sports team wins or whatever, um, they're going to get a huge spike in testosterone where when women, like if our sports teams win, we're like, yeah, that's really cool. But we're not like, you know, slapping our friend's hands and stuff. I mean, maybe sometimes it depends, you know, right. um, for example, but uh, progesterone and estrogen are released um, throughout the, the month on that, that uh, ultradian, I should have looked that up, sorry, <laughs> that uh, ultradian rhythm. And so different times of the month. So 
you can definitely measure them, but you should measure them. My point being, you need to measure these hormones at this, at a certain time and they should have a specific value at that time. And, um, I've, I've made a couple charts. And, um, so like if anyone is listening to this and wants this information, I'm more than happy to give it to them. Um, and usually, well, it depends on the hormone, but picograms is what I've converted everything to just for ease of understanding it. And is, is that something that is, like I said, it, it, going to a doctor, is that something that's normally tested? Is that something that has to be requested, you know? Yeah, it's tested through blood and blood you test total hormones. And I'm, it, it seems like that's incorrect. So, um, for example, with testosterone, um, you know, like if you're like, oh, you know, like I got to go, go work, work today, um, I can get blood work after work and your testosterone is lower at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, right, we have all these, um, these dudes walking around and they're like, oh, I have low T, I have low T. Well, like when did you do, did you do a spit test for like four different times of the day? Cause that's an accurate test of testosterone. Right. Just getting one blood test only measures total testosterone, which is not free as part of total. So just sorry if I'm being too nerdy again. Um, and, and, and that, that's not an accurate way to test these hormones because they change. It, I hope I'm making that clear. Um, and same thing with like estrogen, progesterone. It, this should be tested in the follicular phase and it should be tested like at like ovulation and luteal phase to see what those levels are. Same with like cortisol. If we have like adrenal fatigue, a lot of runners have issues with that from like overtraining or just the stress of life. Um, cortisol should also be tested throughout the day, not just a glimpse of t- uh, a blip of time, you know, with, with one blood, one, one incident of blood work, you know. Right. No, I don't think you're being nerdy. I think it's it, it raises an important an important. Uh, I mean, even the terms maybe are a little bit nerdy, but the concept of it is basically that you need multiple data points. You can't Absolutely, just test it yeah. once and just once, you know, because you don't know at that one moment and that one part of the day, that one day, you're not going to get an accurate uh, picture of your entire, you know, um, you know, makeup as far as your, you know estrogen and progesterone and everything else that you want to test and same thing with men if it's testosterone you want to kind of do that over a a, a longer period of time so you have more data points to compare and then see if there's any consistency or any anomalies that may occur and then research that and dive that down a little bit deeper as opposed to let's just get a test done and yep here's a test and you're out the door or whatever and and that you know paints the the whole picture because it could be inaccurate so once again it's just it's just taking the time and maybe even money in order to get that, uh, you know, the data done right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, man, this is, this is a lot that I, these are topics and, <laughs> and, and, and things that I, as, as a guy, I never thought I would be discussing. Um, but I it's, it's, inter- it's, it, yeah, but it's fascinating. Um, and I, th- and I do think it's things we should probably all, you know, be aware of. Um, Wondering if you could also talk a little bit because this is one of the things that was brought up. Obviously, the way women metabolize, you know, their metabolism is different than men as well. And um, I think as far as dieting and things like that, that was one of the things that was brought up in this podcast was sort of kind of how, why men sort of kind of can, you know, do a diet, drop weight and become lean and women can't, you know, doing the same diet. Like they were in this example, they were talking specifically about keto, you know. Yeah. So, um, it, again, with nutrition, I think it's very, and, and diet, I think it's very individual. Um, cause women also, um, uh, like I'm going to give someone in menopause different recommendations than someone in childbearing ages. Um, so just because hormones change, um, and then resting metabolic rate changes throughout the month. So I would, I would ideally want, 
um, probably, if, if, I mean, if I'm really doing science correctly, I would want two different resting metabolic rates tests done. And um, we use the Pinoe system and you basically, it's just like a max VO2 test, right? Like you're, you're putting this thing on your, your face and you're breathing into it. Uh, for the RMR test, you just get to chill. You don't have to do a ramp test or anything like that. You don't have to be miserable for this one. You get to relax. Um, and it basically tells us how much fat uh, you're or you're burning and how much, how many carbohydrates you're burning. Um, you, you want to be in a fat burning state. You want to be like 70% fat, like 30% carbs. Um, uh, I think a lot of women, I don't, I don't know this for a fact. I, I don't have my research in front of me, so forgive me, but a lot of, um, women as they age, they tend to be more carb burners and they want to be like snacky and like sugar burners and like always, um, I don't know, into, into the granola bars or whatever throughout the day. And, um, I don't think that that's as, as, um, as recommended. Um, but men, their hormones pretty much stay the same throughout their life. There's actually discrepancy or, um, pe people aren't sure. We, we say that men lose testosterone as they age, but we're, it seems to be more of a lifestyle thing versus that just because you're, you know, 35 or 40 or whatever, your, your testosterone starts going down. Uh, it actually seems to be a sleep deprivation thing um, and, and lifestyle choices than, than actually your age. But women, um, it, it can also be lifestyle stuff, but their hormones are actually like dropping for sure. Like you're, you're right. If you go through menopause, your hormones are changing drastically. Um, so your resting metabolic rate is going to change also. Um, again, I probably didn't answer your question as specifically as you wanted me to, but I'm not sure if I can because it's just super individualized. Right. No, no, I completely understand it. Yeah. It was just one of those things where, you know, you can't expect the same results, basically what it comes down to between a man yeah. and a woman doing the exact same diet, just because their physiology and the way they metabolize food is completely different. So it is individualized and it's in, and even by gender, it's, it's, you're not going to get the same results. Um, what you did uh, bring up menopause. So what is, so f once again, does training change? Like, do the, you know, obviously there's no menstrual cycle, right? If I'm getting it, getting that correct, right? So yep. how does that then affect women that are, you know, go, you know, past menopause or going through menopause as far as their training? Do they still kind of need to follow some sort of training, you know, very similar to what they were going, that you're recommending, you know, with the different phases? Or is it now going, okay, well, now you're, you can go back to a more general style of approach of training if you're training, you know, at that point. Yeah, I, I always want to see hormones uh, at, at any any women that I'm talking to. Men, I'm, I don't care as much, but um, I want to see what women's hormones are just because they're more they change. You actually, the type of estrogen you have when you're in menopause actually changes um, than when you're in um, when you're in childbearing age. There's three different types of estrogen. So the the most powerful one's the estradiol, and that's E2, and that's the one that we have whenever we're um, in childbearing. So I, I want to see what, how much of what hormone women have when they're in menopause. But a general rule is right. Like estrogen helps with bone. Um, bone density and when we lose specifically that e2 so when we lose that e2 we're more susceptible women are more susceptible to um, thinner bones um, and the best way to combat that is to do weight bearing exercises and to lift heavy weights um, women um, are are seem there still seems to be a little bit of that faux pas about oh i don't want to lift heavy weights because i don't want to bulk up and it's like man you, you can't <laughs> like it's it's really hard to bulk up as a woman 
Um, especially if you're not, you don't want to, like if you're intentional about it, like you can. Um, but so I really want to see women lifting heavier weights as they age and doing more, um, high intensity intervals, which, um, almost sounds like kind of backwards because I think a lot of women are just like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to go on like an easy run and that's easier or whatever. Um, but you should be doing more intervals and you should be stressing your body a little bit more. Now, as you age, men and women need more rest in between their intervals. So like if when you're younger, say, you know, um, whatever your schedule is, maybe like Monday's a track day and then Wednesday's a hill day or something like that. And like Tuesday would be an easy day. So if you're in menopause, you might have to schedule like two rest days in between and you might have to take the day completely off or cross train or swim, you know, um, but that's okay. Uh, but you, sh you should definitely be hitting those uh, high intensity workouts for your hormones and for your bones. And um, there's other systems involved too, but um, I hope I, explain gave some key, key points there <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it just it, yeah it just sort of kind of stresses the point that you know it's it's not a one size fits all it's not like okay you hit menopause and now you're like oh now you can train like a man you know it's like you're still no 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 not, not that yeah it's still you still need some data you still need to get tested to really kind of fine-tune and kind of get the correct type of um you know uh you know training plan if you want the, the you know the best results but at the same time i think really and i've i've learned this i'm I'll be 53 next month. And one of the things that I started doing, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, the last three, three years now, since I turned 50 is a lot more strength training because prior to that I was just running and, and maybe a little bit of cycling. And so now I'm sort of doing less of the running a little bit more uh, cycling because I got hooked on Zwift and then, um, and then trying to do more strength training and not necessarily to, to bulk up, but more for just, just for strength, just for performance, um, just to get leaner, just to be healthier and just, uh, avoid any type of issues down the road. Um, as, as I age, you know, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be hunched over with walking with a cane, you know, uh, I don't want that as part of my future. I want to be walking upright and, you know, with good posture. So for me, that's sort of kind of what I've been wanting to do. And at the same time, you know, less prone to injury because, um, if you are stronger, if you've got, you know, um, you know, strong bones, strong muscles, you know, there's a less chance that, you know, like I did on my last trail run, I tripped and fell and came down and I was like, and I was able to get back up, you know, I didn't break anything. And that's, that's part of it. It's more preventative medicine yep. through strength training than, uh, than anything else. So I think that's just great advice really for, for any, anyone, any gender, and just to continue to be active, um, regardless of whatever age you're at. So the, just to kind of recap a little bit, because here's some of the things that I pulled out from that podcast, and we've, we've already mentioned that only 6% of, um, you know, any type of research right now is being applied uh, to women specifically. So there's a lot of uh, research and, and data that is, um, just isn't correct, and, it, and it's being applied to, to women. Um, so we need more uh, research being done, um, and uh, and 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 for doctors and and anyone to really kind of focus on, and as an individual, be your own advocate to know that whatever is being recommended, you know, as far as a treatment or a training plan or something like that, to question whether you know what's the research behind it, um, and and to get more information. Um, because it's those type of things that it's been those type of plans or research that typically um, 
will you know lead to more injury for women because of it's not specific to them. Um, the other thing that I found that was interesting, and this is something that uh, I've recently kind of gotten uh, a little bit involved in, is that you know was that women drop out of sports twice as uh, the rate of men during puberty, and that by age 17. 51% of girls have given up on sports. And that has a lot to do with the going through puberty and, you know, um, the different changes in um, hormones that, you know, doesn't make those type of sports uh, enjoyable or fun or, com or especially if it's competitive, because once again, the training isn't, has been uh, done to be more along, you know, boys or men. And so, girls drop out. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I've, I found out about recently. And it's, a, there's a program that we're working with here in, in uh, locally called girls em empowering movement. And that's sort of kind of what they're doing. It's, um, programs, uh, for girls by girls. Um, and so it's something that we're working with and we're trying to support and, uh, and, uh, and, and draw more awareness, um, to them. So um, I just, it's just something that now these different worlds are sort of kind of coming together between the research that you're sharing um, and things that we're doing here uh, as well at Big Peach. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about you since we got some time. Um, you've obviously have a pretty good uh, you know, resume as far as uh, your own uh, athletic performance. I see you're a NCAA collegiate athlete across country and track. And you're currently a Cat 2 cyclist competing uh, professionally? Yes. <laughs> um, and a an half Ironman Worlds qualifier. So, um, so, so what, what, what are you training for right now? What's, uh, do you have anything big coming up on your calendar that you're currently training for? No, man, it's off season. So I'm just uh, actually this week, I just started back for workouts, kind of took a little time off and, um, you know, um, you know, getting, getting Zen with the bicycle again and, uh, then training for, I don't know, my probably first race will be like in March or something like that. So, um, hoping to do a couple stage races and a couple crits and maybe a gravel race or something might, might jump into a, a mountain bike race over the winter. Um, and then probably back to running again. Um, cycling's fun, but, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I like, I like running a little better. <laughs> Yeah, I go through uh, phases. Right now, I'm more of in a cycling phase. Um, but I'm also trying, you know, like right now, especially in the fall, I tend to gravitate more towards uh, trails. So I'm uh -huh. doing some trail running. I've signed up for uh, you know, a, a trail race here uh, in December. So I'm trying to get back out there and running on trails. But, you know, the convenience of having, you know, the bike on, uh, on a trainer and doing Zwift you know, yeah. just heading down to the basement and not having to drive someplace, you know, or deal with the, you know, safety on the roads. Cause that's a big concern as well. Um, and sure. just be able to jump on the trainer and get a, a you know, a, 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 you know, an hour ride in, or even really, I could probably squeeze in more than an hour, right? Cause it would typically take me two hours to drive to a place, get a decent ride in, or and actually even more, I could squeeze in a, a really good ride, um, within a couple hours. And so that's, uh, that's, that's got me kind of, uh, has taken a little bit of my time and, not only that, the um, Zwift has recently made some improvements, and they've got the little kind of ghost rider, I think is what they call it. So it's, it takes your previous uh, PRs. So when you oh, hit that yeah. segment, you see this little ghost of, of you on your last PR. <laughs> so it's pacing you. And there's been times, I mean, I did a ride yesterday where I had just finished doing a workout, 
and I see the little ghost rider kind of pop up. I'm like, I was like, no, man. I was like, this is going to be an easy ride. And then you see it kind of pulling <laughs> ahead of you, and you're like, no, I got to go for it. And you, yeah, you, you push harder. So it's great in the sense of it really kind of pushes you. So I've gotten I've gotten hooked on on uh, on Zwift. I resisted it, and uh, I've actually done a lot more riding this year um, because of it, even though it's been on the indoor trainer. Um, this year. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, obviously I love the benefits of it. I love the convenience of it. So, well, good luck with, um, your training for, for, uh, you know, for next year, Uh, be curious. I'm going to follow Yeah, I am following you on Instagram. So I'll be interested to see kind of what you're doing and what, uh, good luck to you too. Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, appreciate it. Uh, you taking your time, uh, Amanda. Uh, so Dr. Amanda Smith, um, and just, uh, you know, you are also just cause I want to make sure you're, pl- I give you a plug, um, Radvocacy Wellness, uh, in Marietta and Atlanta Sports Recovery in Decatur. And we'll have, uh, I'll have links for that all in the show notes. Um, I'll also include the whoop podcast. If you want to get a little bit uh, more information, uh, about their, you know, what they've learned and some of the data that they are, they're kind of picking up and learning, f- uh, from their products. I'll share that podcast link. Um, and, uh, yeah, that'll all be in the show notes. So thank you, uh, Dr. Amanda Smith. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll be uh, right back after this break. Big Pete's now sells bikes at our Brookhaven and Midtown locations. Big Pete's Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit, it's also a great way to recover from long runs and have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more. No matter what you prefer, with brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, We've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out the selection of bikes at Town Brookhaven or Midtown, right on Peachtree Street, or view our inventory online at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. And welcome back. Yeah, that was, um, man, that was uh, really enlightening and very educational for me. Um, I think that this is something that, you know, coaches should be more aware of at every level um, at, at the, you know, um, you know, at grade school, through high school, middle school, uh, collegiate, and then even higher up as, as we get into adults. And there's many different um, coaches that are out there, both, um, you know, uh, you know, from both genders. And I don't know that this information, you know, is, is out there, um, you know, in the way that it should be to where it's very well known. Um, and I hope that it does get out there because I do think that there's, uh, you know, there's better ways of training once we have the data and the information. And, you know, it's great that um, Dr. Amanda Smith was able to be here and help me out. I have in the past um, coached uh, a couple um, of, of women and have followed a traditional uh, type of training plan. I've always been, I've always sort of kind of catered it based on um, each individual's, um, you know, feedback as what they were going through, but I've never taken and built a training plan specifically um, based on uh, a menstrual cycle. And that's a conversation that if I were ever to do that again, I think I, I, I should have at least, um, you know, uh, be aware of it. Um, and, you know, just so that, you know, I am not a certified uh, training coach or, or, or personal trainer of any, any means. It's just based on my experience where I've had individuals that have reached out to me and said, hey, because you've done a marathon or because you've done a triathlon before, I'd really like you to help me out and kind of coach me through this. So um, 
So just knowing that, I think, uh, you know, makes me a little bit more aware of uh, doing a better job because I think the, the last thing a coach would want to do is to have someone that they're coaching be injured, injured because they didn't have the correct information um, and were uninformed. So, um, you know, thank you, Dr. Amanda Smith, for, for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing information. Um, for those of you that are interested and maybe want, uh, uh, you know, to connect with Dr. Amanda Smith, um, you know, she, uh, you know, she works out of the Radvocacy Wellness in Marietta and also Atlanta Sports Recovery Indicator. And I'll have those links in the show notes as well. Um, so, um, so the awesome, awesome, uh, you know, uh, awesome topic today. Um, <clears throat> as we wrap up, um, you know, I want to remind uh, all of you that, you know, our Peachy Bucks is back. You know, for those of you that don't know, Peachy Bucks is a program that uh, we've had every single year. We actually started it earlier this year, and it's um, the program goes through December 11th. And what it is is that when you purchase $200 or more in merchandise or a gift card, you'll actually receive you know, uh, you know, uh, big peach, peachy bucks that can be used for future purchases. And, you know, this, it's eligible for in-store and online purchases. And basically if you spend 200 to $249.99, you'll receive $20 uh, in peachy bucks. And, you know, if you purchase 250 to $299.99, you'll receive $25 in peachy bucks and so on and so on. So, you know, the, you know, for every $50 you spend, you get an additional, you know, $5, um, so that offer is available. We've done it every single year, and it seems to be some, one of our, uh, you know, uh, favorite programs um, because all of our, uh, you know, guests uh, do love it and uh, feel kind of rewarded for supporting us. And it's our way of kind of thanking everyone for supporting us throughout the year, especially during the holiday season. And you can use those uh, PG Bucks uh, later uh, to, you know, whether you're shopping for yourself or shopping for someone else, you can take those PG Bucks and, and reward yourself and, and buy something later. Um, they do expire by March 31st, so there's a limited time where you could use them, but you do have those available. And then the other thing, you know, um, is if you're, you know, interested in getting a bike or maybe you need a new bike um, to replace an older one, you know, now's the perfect time. We are having a holiday bike sale. Um, all bikes that are currently in stock are 20% off, and that goes all the way through the end of the year. It's all the way through December 31st. So, you know, stop by our Big Peach Ride and Run locations in either Midtown or Brookhaven and, you uh, you know, take advantage of that great offer for these uh, end of year savings. And, you know, hey, you know, who, who doesn't like a bike under a Christmas tree? You know, that's that's just awesome. So thanks once again for tuning in. Um, and uh, remember just to keep keep uh, keep at it. Keep running. Keep logging those miles in. Stay safe and uh, take care of yourself. So long. Do you have a story or know someone with a story that can inspire, motivate or even empower others? Email me at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. I want to share your story. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.